When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. How do you free a person from supposed possession? Why are exorcisms so controversial? Welcome to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding, and this week we dive into exorcisms. I'm sure you've all heard of exorcisms before. Perhaps you hid under the covers and watched The Exorcist as a teenager for a fright. I've still never seen it and I have no will whatsoever and no want to watch it either. So what actually is an exorcism and why is it used? I know we've touched on exorcisms and exorcists uh, before in a previous episode, but I'm so intrigued with it. I wanted to delve deeper. The word exorcism is derived from the Greek word, and I'm so sorry if I get this incorrect, but bear with me, exorcision or kaisin, meaning to bind by oath. Exorcism is the religious or spiritual practice of evicting demons, jinns, or other spiritual entities from a person or an area that is believed to be possessed. Many people, when thinking about exorcisms, will have the 1973 movie The Exorcist in mind. Regan McNeil's possession by the demon Pazuzu in that film was based on a case in Maryland in 1949. However, this sort of possession that exhibits an alternate personality and manifests supernatural abilities is not typical, apparently, to a normal exorcism, where there is normally no phenomena. Depending on the spiritual beliefs of the exorcist, this may be done by causing the entity to swear an oath, performing an elaborate ritual, or by commanding it to depart in the name of a higher power. This ancient practice spans centuries, beliefs, and cultures. I mean, I know for a fact that the Vatican has its own exorcists. And in Italy, in certain villages, small villages, on a Sunday, every Sunday, there are certain churches, uh, they have a curtain, and you walk behind the curtain, or or a, a, a alleged possessed person um, will go behind the curtain, uh, the priest will come out and do a full-on exorcism behind the curtain. And then, hey presto, the person walks out all normal, much relief uh, around the family, which is in- incredible. I remember seeing a little bit of it, even though they didn't show the exorcism, they weren't allowed to show it. They actually showed people queuing up to go behind this curtain. It was absolutely extraordinary. Myself and the Most Haunted team had a wonderful encounter and it was a wonderful experience. Uh, we managed to procure the talents of a real priest from the Roman Catholic Church who performed exorcists and actually came on one of the most haunted shows. In fact, he actually did two of them as one of our investigators. And it was extraordinary. He carried round with him a little um, circular box. And within that box, um, there were some, there was something called picks. And I remember saying to him, what are these? And these are the little wafers that when you go to a Roman Catholic church or a service and want to take a communion, I know it doesn't necessarily have to be a Catholic, and you'll kneel down and you'll open your mouth and it'll be, this is the body of Christ. 
and then you'll have a sip of the red wine. Well, apparently these these picks and what they're made of, according to this uh, lovely uh, priest that we worked with, he said this is supposed to be the thinnest. It's a symbol of, of, of the thin veil between our world and the next. And we consume this, this thin wafer. And that's the feeling of, oh, I'm close to the Lord. I'm close to God and so on. So, he uses and carries with him the picks. He carries around with him a crucifix. And I'm not kidding you. The phenomena that we had, and we took him to a theatre. I can't remember. If it, it, it was a, one of the very first episodes. We took him to a theatre. And as soon as he walked in, it started. But not just little things like we get knocking and the other. I mean, it started. We were pelted with everything. There were growls, loud rapping and knocking and so on. And every time this priest spoke, it answered by doing something. And it was really quite frightening. Uh, he blessed the property at the end and it, it was absolutely fascinating. And you couldn't have met such a lovely, a lovely, a lovelier guy. He was so nice. Um, and sadly, because of the religious connotations and so on, we actually had to cut him out of the show. So we'd already edited the show once and then we had to go back and edit every shot with him in it out because the channel didn't want to upset the church. And that's a true story. But it was very interesting to see how the spirit world reacted to a priest calling out, saying prayers and so on and so on. And my God, did we get reactions. Absolutely fabulous it was. And I, I love working um, with the church. I love working, if we can, you know, with demonologists, exorcism, exorcists. Absolutely fantastic because you're learning all the time. And that's really important in my job. So techniques of exorcism vary across cultures and are nearly endless in variety. Some strategies include prescribed prayers or rituals, I suppose you kind of get that, you know, with me, if I'm scared, you know, a healer or a spiritualist will say to me, I want you to go home before you go to bed. I want you to do this. I want you to imagine. I want you to say these words. And one of the things that I'm doing at the moment is I'm, I'm pretending in my mind's eye to take the top of the telephone, you know, the, the old fashioned telephone, uh, the top of the, uh, where the handle is, the mouthpiece to take that off. Sorry, I'm engaged. You can't get through. And another one that Carl suggested was to imagine, you know, the old fashioned shop sign that you turn. Sorry, we're closed. Sorry, uh, you know, hello, we're open. Well, that's what I'm doing as well. So at night time before I go to bed, I'm turning the sign. Sorry, closed. And then in the morning when I get up, I put the telephone handle back on and I flip the sign round. Open for business. Another strategy that might be used is asking the spirit what it wants and appeasing it, transferring the spirit into something that is then destroyed, having the patient consume blessed substances such as holy water or sacred writings or the picks that I talked about, sending for someone possessed by a more powerful spirit who can scare away the other spirit. And the most dangerous forms of exorcism involve making the patient so uncomfortable that the spirit no longer wishes to inhabit their body. These can include beating the patient, fumigating them with noxious substances, burning them or immersing them in water. Sadly, there are numerous cases of would-be exorcists who have killed their patients using these strategies. I know there's a, a very famous case that we talked about in a previous podcast where a young girl, Annalise McKell, she was possessed and I know that the church came in and she passed away sadly because she was starved. I'm not saying the church did it but she just didn't eat. They couldn't make her eat. She didn't eat. It was absolutely horrific. Uh, very upsetting. If you want to look into her case it, 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 there are some good documentaries on YouTube but be warned some of the, the footage is rather harrowing. Uh, one famous example is the exorcism of Roland Doe in 1949. Now here priests spent weeks working to free a 14-year-old um, and he had a, a pseudonym known as Roland Doe from claimed demonic possession. A newspaper co 
coverage of this case would eventually inspire William Peter Blatty to write his blockbuster 1971 novel, The Exorcist. And as we know, in The Exorcist, uh, the, the the child who's possessed is a girl. Well, actually, it wasn't. It was it was a boy in real life, Roland. And um, the Doe family began hearing strange scratching sounds in January 1949. They assumed the scratching noises came from the walls and the ceiling were the work of rats. But exterminators couldn't find any evidence of the infestation. The family then claimed to hear unexplained footsteps, furniture moving on their own and violent shaking of of Roland Doe's bed. This activity seemed to centre on Roland, following him wherever he stayed. How absolutely petrifying this must have been. The family appealed and went to a Catholic priest, but the priest, Father E. Albert Hughes, unsuccessfully attempted to exorcise Roland, and the boy allegedly broke off a piece of mattress spring and attacked the priest with it, slashing his arm. After this, Roland and his mother left their home in the hopes to escape what was terrorising them. Whilst in Missouri, several Jesuit priests attempted to free the boy from the demon that supposedly possessed him. Throughout the ritual, the priests claimed to see words and images appear on the boy's body in the form of spontaneous scratches. And as I say in a previous podcast, I know we did talk about these in, in a little bit more detail. And at one point, Roland actually broke one of the priest's noses. And the exorcism continued night after night. Roland seemed seemed normal during the day apparently until the 18th of April in 1949 when Roland appeared to be cured and allegedly he went on to lead a quiet life. How absolutely petrified. This is the thing that, that that terrifies me, is the demons. You hear these stories and then, of course, Hollywood grabs hold of them or writers write books about them and things are embellished. You know, how much of the stories and the books and the, the accounts are true of the real cases? Like I say, how much of it has been embellished? How much of it is true? And then, of course, when Hollywood comes along, oh, my God, you know, everybody's crawling on the ceiling, aren't they? And projectile vomiting everywhere you know and their heads are turning around um a common misconception about exorcism is that it will soon fade away in the modern world where does that come from the catholic church once uh, wanted to distance itself from the controversial practice but in recent years it has embraced it with pope francis calling exorcism a delicate and necessary ministry i totally totally agree in addition the vatican announced in 2018 a new training course will be held to meet increased demands for deliverance ministry and exorcism is arguably more popular today than at any point in history with the exception of the 16th and 17th century uh, in, in europe well stay tuned after the break as we speak to edward burgess wells a practicing exorcist in london and i am so excited The Ultimate Podcast for Married at First Sight fans is here. This is Recapped at First Sight. The new podcast keeping you up to date on all the love, fallouts, drama and secrets as the Married at First Sight UK bride and grooms try to make happy couples. And we're your happy couple right here, in a professional sense, of course. Join me, Kat Shube. And me, former Maths UK groom Bob Voisey, every morning after you've watched the latest episode on TV. Plus, we'll have some special guests along the way enjoying our very own wedding breakfast. You bit the caterers, right? Uh, about that. Recapped at first sight. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back. Before we jump into our chat with Edward, Jamie got in touch uh, with his own paranormal experience that took place a few years ago. Hi, Yvette and team. Um, I've just actually discovered your podcast and I have to say I'm absolutely loving it. Um, As an avid Most Haunted fan when I was younger, it's great to kind of see you back and um, doing this podcast about all of the paranormal and the unknown, which is something that fascinates me. So I'm playing a little bit of catch-up at the moment, going through all of the episodes. And I've currently just listened to your episode on predictions. Now, I do have a really, really weird story that happened to me um, a few years ago, which is quite creepy. And what it was, I had went to bed a couple of years ago, fell asleep, and I had a really, really vivid dream. And what it was, I was in kind of like a skyscraper building on the top floor and I remember that the, the, the windows were floor to ceiling um, on two sides. So it was kind of like you got a panoramic view of what I assumed was London, a huge vast kind of landscape that you were looking out on. And I was sitting there with a few other people in the room and I got the impression I was there for a job interview. You know, I was dressed up, um, suit and tie. There was a few of the people in the room all dressed up as well, waiting to be called in for an interview. And I was sat there looking out the windows and I have to mention as well, the ceiling was glass as well. It was the top floor and you could see up into the sky. And all of a sudden this helicopter was flying really low to the ceiling, going up, going down. Um, and I remember looking up and thinking, that's going to crash through and sure enough it crashed through and as soon as it crashed through into the building I woke up Um, it was morning I did my usual routine I got up got in the shower came downstairs as I was making my breakfast getting ready for work I used to come downstairs and put the TV on now I didn't have a TV in the bedroom so it's not like I could have um, subconsciously taken in information if the TV was even on itself Um, But I came downstairs, put on the news, sat down eating my cornflakes and on the TV, um, on the news, it was talking about how a helicopter had smashed into the roof of a Glasgow pub, um, if you remember that from a few years ago. And I remember just sitting there in complete shock for about five minutes thinking, even though it wasn't a skyscraper, even though it wasn't potentially in London, that is what I dreamt of. And I was so creeped out by this. Anyways, keen to know your thoughts on this one and keep up the good work. Thank you. Jamie. Oh my gosh. How incredible is that? Thank you so much for sharing uh, that with us. You know, don't you? You do know when it's not a normal dream you're having. 
when you actually experience something, when things are just that little bit clearer than normal, things are a little bit more vivid. And we've, we've talked, haven't we, in depth about lucid dreaming, vivid dreams and so on. And you know, I've had quite a few of them. But Jamie, to actually experience that so specific as well with all the glass and then and then the helicopter so what's going on here are you some kind of i don't know portal are you being able to pick up on something that's going to happen in the future why are you seeing that are you more open than other people why do so many people have these uh, predictions that come as dreams and then literally within 24 hours it happens. Something's going on with our brain waves. Something is happening where, oh gosh, I don't know, some kind of energy you're able to pick up, your brain is able to pick on that energy before it's happened. Is it a kind of time travel? Oh, so many questions and such a, a, a wide gamut of, of, of theories that nobody truly understands or has knowledge of. We've only got research to go on and how so many millions of people have these types of predictions. Uh, I've never had anything like that. I know I talked about my cousin Stuart and how he actually had a dream of two planes going into the Twin Towers. And I know a lot of people had those dreams and then the Twin Towers happened. Incredible. So what's going on here? I'd love to know your thoughts as well, Jamie, uh, and other people that are listening. Have you had any predictions yourselves like that? Please, if you have, uh, let us know. Uh, as I say, Jamie, thank you so much. Uh, if you do have any more paranormal experiences, don't be shy and uh, get in touch. I... I'm beside myself. In fact, there's two of me here. I'm joined now by the lovely Ed Burgess-Wells, who is a healer. He's also a warlock, but he also does exorcisms as well. Uh, and I suppose you could be called an exorcist, couldn't you, Ed, if you wanted to? That is one of the titles, but yeah, we can definitely call myself an exorcist. Not a part of the priesthood, though. I just want to get straight, cut straight to the chase. We all want to know, because I know people listening will be like, oh, oh, how wonderful, a real exorcist. Tell us um, how you got into it. So um, I actually sort of fell into exorcisms almost by accident, to be honest. I, uh, Since I was born, I always had paranormal experiences and sort of strange happenings. Uh, it's something that's run in my family for quite a while. And I started the healing business uh, along with sort of clairvoyance and that kind of thing. And along the way, I ended up meeting people who were worried that they had a presence in their house. And then that elevated into a presence in a family member and erratic behavior and even more strange happenings. So I ended up falling into the exorcisms as a result of that, really. It was just sort of a natural pathway. So what are the signs for you? What When you walk into a house like you have done, families have called you up or friends. What are the first signs when you think, oh, this is not good, I need to help? For something that needs an actual exorcism, often I'll walk into the house and immediately there's the sense that there's something very heavy there or something very malicious there. That's sort of my first indicator that something doesn't quite feel right or something's not quite human here mm. because obviously I work with people every day on a very human level. So I recognize that energy and the different energies within it. And if there's another layer on top of that, or rather below that, that is giving something non-human, that's how I know that there's at least something here. And for possession, inverted commas itself, the person is acting very different from how they would usually act. Sometimes they're fully sort of maniacal. Sometimes they're having hallucinations. Sometimes they're not even recognizing who they are. So there, there's some very obvious signs or uh, that all start from that subtle, something's not right here. And a lot of people would, and, and I know scientists and parapsychologists have looked into possession. And the first thing they will think of is, well, 
let's let's put to the side the fact that it could be a demonic spirit that's taken over this person is there something psychological going on here um you know are they on medication are they schizophrenic has it got worse have they you know other other mental issues here that the doctor has missed or and so on but you know because you sense you have this sort of uh, i suppose a, a barometer that goes off am i right <laughs> yeah, that sort of says exactly. actually no yeah. there's there's yeah like you said at the beginning you know when there's something not right here and there's something non-human so that really is the trigger for you yeah so then what happens what happens after that um so well the first thing that i do is I check for exactly what you just mentioned. I make sure there's no history of mental illness. I check if they're on medication. I study the house, the family, and the person themselves to make sure that this is legit because sometimes you can have that sense and have that feeling, but it's just a presence in the house Ah. if it is just a sense that something's off. So I do the full research before I would step into anything more intense like an exorcism because that's a very intense solution is sort of a last resort, to be honest. So I start there and then work my way up. And if there's no sort of, if there's nothing that I've just mentioned, then I would start to talk to the person individually and start doing energetic sessions on them, healing. And then I can separate what's their energy and what is the entity's energy through that, I can discover what what entity it is, who it is, where it comes from. And then I enter conversations with that entity to ask why this particular individual, if there's any contracts set up, if there's, you know, oaths that have been said. And I, it's kind of like a diplomatic session to begin with, really. How absolutely fascinating. The work that I've done over the years. I've never had anything follow me home. And uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but in most of these cases where somebody is possessed, is it a spirit then? It doesn't necessarily have to be a, a negative spirit, but it's a spirit that has, it's it's attached itself to somebody along the way. They could have, I don't know, been shopping. They could have been doing anything. And all of a sudden, that spirit has suddenly attached themselves to this person. Sometimes I have known I've gone to somebody's house and helped them where the spirit has attached itself, not possessed, attached itself to the young girl in the house because the spirit thought she looked like his granddaughter and he couldn't just sort of let go. So, what in your mind then where do we pick up these spirits where do they attach themselves to us and how do we get possessed right so well actually that's quite an interesting distinction uh, between attachment and possession for want of a better word so with attachment it's exactly as you describe you can pick them up walking down the street they might think they recognize you they might just be attracted to your energy they might feel safe or sometimes it's as simple as this person looks like they know where they're going so i'll follow them home um, so uh, and that's a very different thing to possession because when a spirit is trying to talk through you that's not something I would regard as a possession. That's usually a form of medium or mediumship where they have something they need to communicate. They're getting frustrated because they can't be heard and there's no one around that can listen. So they take it to more extreme measures and use the voice box available to them in order to get their message across. That often happens because usually because they're attracted to your energy for one reason or another. Uh, so, for instance, if you're, you know, doing work like this and it seems like you have an energy that could be useful to them, then they'll use it uh, because energy creates energy, right? When I think about what you do, and by the sounds of it, I'm, I mean, you've been doing it, you know, most of your life and you were born with this gift um, and I've been doing it a long time. When you think about it, then you must be protected, by whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, guides, healers on the other side. For me, you know, I've got, a, I know I've got a, a, a lovely group of family members around me that protect me all the time. Now, surely most of us have got 
family members protecting us or uh, guides, guardian angels, whatever you want to call them. How are these spirits able to come in, possess? Is it because they're just too strong for our guides? Usually with regards to guardian angels, guides and protectors, you you sort of have to almost actively work with them or, or at the very least acknowledge that they're there for them to be able to have an influence and an effect on you. That's not always. I know sometimes people have experiences seemingly out of nowhere and suddenly they're connected and they're the, usually the people, the cynicists who become believers, you know. But that's usually because it's a sort of divine intervention. Uh, but with regards to possession, specifically possession, you you often have to give permission for this entity to come in. And once that happens, for whatever reason, the guys can't really do much about it because you've allowed this thing in and you've allowed them to use your energy. And therefore, as far as they're concerned, this is what you want. So is that a subconscious thing then? Perhaps something that you dream in your sleep that you're not aware of and you're allowing them in? I mean, I wouldn't, I don't think any of us would consciously go, <laughs> yeah, come in, use my voice box. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, exactly. often it is that they're very, um, at least with malicious beings, they're very smart with the way that they do it. They present themselves differently. For instance, this is why the whole stereotype of the little girl you know, like in the horror films. That's where that came from because it's this image of innocence of, you know, I'm just a harmless child. Let me talk to you. Let's be friends. And people who aren't quite savvy to it will often be say, well, yeah, of course, you know, come and do whatever because you're not a threat to me. And then that attachment has started. Wow. Just just as simple as that. Wow. Yeah, it, it it it's it's funny, isn't it? Because whenever I do, um, like we do most haunted events, and people come along, and we'll say, you know, who would like to do a Ouija board, and so on and so on, and so many people, oh yeah, love, 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 love it. And I always say, and and so does Carl <clears throat> and other members of the team. If you do get somebody and you think it's grandma and she's coming through with with information, you must make sure that you ask your grandmother certain questions that she will only know the answer to but you think concentrate when you're asking a grandma what was the name of your cat think the wrong think the wrong answer and if the board comes out with the wrong answer you know it's not your grandma so there's lots of things and i just think you have to tread so carefully don't you when you when you're sort of opening yourself up to the other side Oh, absolutely. It's, it's the, if I'm teaching someone energetic work, the first thing I teach is protection, how to go about it, what kind of beings are good for it, and how to make your own relationship with those entities. Because, you know, as uh, an exorcist and as, you know, a warlock healer, whatever, my first advice to anyone is never use a Ouija board. <laughs> well, I'm bugger then. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, I think I've done I've done thousands. Oh my gosh. What's gonna to happen to me? The, <laughs> well, you you already are very savvy to the protection, so I'm sure you're fine. I'm all right. But, I'm doomed, um, I'm doomed, that's why I am. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, well the the reason I say it is because often it's seen as sort of an oddity or something quite, you know, as a bit of fun. Um, by a lot of people but the main reason is is because as you know a Ouija board is essentially a gateway into spirit or whatever you want to call it and there's a very specific uh, demonic entity attached to Ouija boards uh, called Zozo and he is very good at deceiving he's very good at giving the right answer even when you're thinking the wrong answer because especially if you're contacting people that have passed away he has access to that knowledge so even if you're thinking the wrong answer he'll come out with the right one now i know now i know for a fact there'll be lots of people now their ears are pricked up they're in the car they're doing their ironing they're in the bath they're pricked up right now going tell us more about this zozo we need to know <laughs> right so zozo is um he, he's a demonic entity. He's 
Uh, I think originally he was sort of first discovered or at least first named in the Middle East. I think it was the ancient Persian Empire when they did those kind of um, seances in, in a way or whatever the equivalent was back then. And his main criteria, he feeds off fear. He's the more sort of classically, um, the more classic demon. So when you think of a demonic entity in the house, you know, the poltergeist activity, the seeing thing, people walk around the shadow in the corner of your eye, anything that makes your hair stand up on end and makes that adrenaline kick in. Mm. That's what he feeds off of. Mm. Mm. Okay. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> so this is why I, I tell people, if possible, stay very clear of, of Ouija. When you think about cases that you have been involved in, can you obviously not give names, but can you tell us of a, a couple of instances where, you know, uh, you've had to deal with a possession and you have successfully done the exorcism? Sure. So there was uh, one case in particular. So I, I, I should start by saying that the amount of times that it's an actual possession is very, very rare. Often it is people sort of hyper-investing into something or just being absolutely terrified and then a pipe creaks and they jump type thing, you know, or it is mental illness. So when it, the times that it's been an actual possession, it's probably about 1% of the time. But uh, in this particular case, there was uh, a client. Um, they called me in because uh, he started acting very erratically. He was running around his house naked um, thinking that he was seeing snakes all over the apartment. This was in London. Um, he was running around trying to kill the snakes and swinging uh, a hatchet around to kill them. And his whole family was there, so obviously uh, completely terrified, didn't know what the bloody hell was going on. Now, he himself was, uh, he worked in accounting for oil companies. So very much not a person that, believes in any of this stuff, to be honest. He was completely different. He was talking differently. His accent, uh, it was a Sri Lankan family, his accent suddenly became hyper English after having a thick Sri Lankan accent. So these were, you know, the signs that, that made them call me. Uh, obviously, Sri Lanka is a very superstitious, that's the word. I mean, they really do. Yeah, very superstitious. You know, if you don't eat the right food when you go out in the morning, oh God, you know, I mean, they really, really take it very, very seriously, don't they? Yeah, it's and over there, it's, it's you know, the idea of being an exorcist, where it's an oddity here and something that I tend to only really talk to people about unless I know they're interested or actually taking it seriously. Um, over there, it's just another profession. You know, they're like, oh, okay, you're an exorcist. That makes sense. I have one that lives around the corner. Yeah, they, yeah they've got their own, haven't they? Oh, he's coming over for tea tonight. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, when I walked into this apartment, uh, again, that very heavy feeling something wasn't right. The best way to describe it was almost like you walk in and they know that you're a threat to them, this entity. So the first thing they do is they try and sort of scan your energetic being to see sort of what level of power you're at, what entities you're attached to with regards to protection, et cetera, et cetera. They, they scope you out to see how big of a threat you are. Often what happens is if they perceive you to be a threat, they'll hide that's their first reaction because they want to fly under the radar. They want me to go in and say, actually, you're just hallucinating. Maybe you're dehydrated, blah, 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 whatever, you know. And then as soon as I leave, he's back out again. So they're very deceptive and they're very clever in the way they do this. First started with a house clearing, which then locks the energy into place. So it clears any of his influence or quasi portals uh, out of the house first so he can't continue feeding energy his own energy into the house so it isolates him and then I was doing a session on this chap uh, he was lying down on the bed and he was uh, convulsing he was moving around he couldn't lie still his arms legs and spine were sort of twisting all over the place so it was very obviously paranormal and this this was sort of like a almost 60 year old 
bloke you know so certainly not someone that's been keeping up with the yoga schedule but he was doing <laughs> yoga moves you know so i went in and uh it turned out that he was involved with oil in in west africa it was in gabon uh, which is the mother country of voodoo and he basically being involved with the company there was a lot of hexes that had taken place against the company the locals weren't very happy with the drilling understandably so i suppose and had sent this uh, entity at him uh, as a result so it turned out to be voodoo in its origin which is something that i'm not as familiar with i'm more um western and middle east but i sort of i know a demon when i see one <laughs> um and basically the contract that had been in place is the person who had sent the entity had created a blood oath with the entity that if uh, he destroys this my client then in return he will uh, make various sacrifices in his own life as well as a blood sacrifice um, on a sort of monthly basis of uh, I think it was a goat, if I remember right. And then uh, there was also a level up where he had offered to do a human sacrifice, depending on how far this being could get. So all of this information was coming to you as you're standing over him and he's convulsing on on the the bed. Right. So while the entity talks to me, because once he's discovered, he won't hide. Uh, And that's how I start the... the, um, conversation of basically how to get him out and what I can do to get him out. So so let's just say, sorry for interrupting, I'm, I'm excited. So <laughs> let's just say I'm on the bed, I'm going, and doing all of that. And <laughs> I know this is, but this, this, but this is so intriguing to me. I've always wanted to see a real exorcist in, in, in session because I, I just think it's absolutely fascinating. And then, so what will you ask? What's the first thing that comes out of your mind? So you're feeling it, you know, it's there, you know, this is, there's a demon in this, in this man's energy and, and he's going, Aah. so what do you do? Do you try and calm him down first or do you say, Oi, sh- shut your mouth, demon, you know, <laughs> talk to me. How, how do you, how, what's the first thing you say? Well, I mean, it, it very, it, it very much depends on uh, the type of, uh, demon that it is but often my first reaction is usually you know stop with the theatrics you're not scaring anyone talk to me and often then it's just a normal dialogue it's just like having a conversation with any other entity right 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 um because the theatrics are to create fear and if because usually when we're afraid we run away and the fear is what he's feeding off of anyway so it's a win-win as far as they're concerned. So what happened then? Uh, so what happens is I, after he told me the conditions of him being there, you have this, it's almost a political process. It's quite odd, <laughs> to be honest. I know it's an oddity anyway, but it's odd even for an oddity. I enter a dialogue and I sort of tell him what resources I have available to me. I tell him... And the beings I work with are also talking with him at the same time. So it's sort of a around the table discussion almost. And I give him options. So I say, either I can kill you. Um, and that's what neither of us want. Because <laughs> for me, it takes up a lot of time, a lot of energy, and it's much more dangerous because that's a ho- open fight. And obviously, he doesn't want to die. So that's often avoided. I can exercise him, which is remove him from this entity, uh, from this person, rather, this family, this house. But if you need to possess someone, then it can be the person that contacted you in the first place because you already have the permissions with them. Oh, so that's more that's more um, agreeable, I would imagine, isn't it? Because well, that energy is wanting to go somewhere. Right, exactly. And they want it, now that they're here, they don't want to go. So, and that's why they usually avoid the third option, which is um, leave and also leave this plane, this sort of uh, material plane or physical plane rather. So the second one is usually the one that they go for, which is essentially return to sender, which I'm sure you're familiar with. 
Um, so yeah, so uh, they already have the permissions in place with them. And then I have to create my own terms and conditions with that being in order to localize it on the original sender. And not only that, make sure they leave once they've done their thing with their original sender. Goodness me. And how long does this sort of thing take? I mean, is it, a, it must I mean, it must zap you of all your energy. Yeah, well, it is exhausting. It's, de- it's definitely exhausting. But um, as you say, I'm very used to it. It, it. The entities that I've been interacting with since, well, for as long as I can remember, I've even before I can remember, my sort of mum has told me things that I used to say to her when I was two or three years old. So, like what? Tell us. There was a time when I was, I think, two and a half, three ish, where I suddenly burst into her room at night time and said that I had seen these two faces coming out of the moon at my window. One was a demonic looking entity and one was an angelic looking entity and they're fighting for my soul. Uh, and I was panicking and I was telling her that I don't want anyone to have my soul. I was sort of in despair, but that's, I think, her first clue that I wasn't a normal child, uh, usually because uh, of the language that I was using at two and a half, three years old. She knew that it was coming from somewhere else because I was using the word entity and being and soul, etc. I mean, that must have been worrying as well for her. So as you grew up, you, you, you sort of, it, it was a natural feeling, just a natural, you were sort of slotted into what, what you did naturally. You didn't, didn't fight it, obviously, or did you? Did you have a, a time when you thought, oh my God, this is too scary. I don't want to get involved in this. Well, I, I, to be honest with you, for the first 12 years of my life, I was absolutely terrified all of the time. I um, uh, despised the fact that it would happen and would often try and convince myself that it's not real, even though I knew it was. But that was my sort of coping mechanism uh, because as I was, particularly in childhood, you know, I had instances where I was being dragged out of bed or the duvet was being snatched off or things were moving around in my room, light switches, visitations on a pretty much nightly basis. I mean, lots of people will be born with this gift and it will just develop over time. Some people will have like a near-death experience. And in some cases, lots of people report that when they've had a near-death experience, that sort of opens up their third eye, as it were. So, do you could could something have happened to you when you were little? Did you did you have a traumatic birth and and so on? Or do you think it was, I, I don't know, passed down? Because you often hear of that, don't you? So generations beforehand were very spiritual and in tune with the other side. Yeah. So I, I was actually uh, quite lucky, I suppose, in that it, uh, with regards to me, it was genetic. Uh, my mum is a psychic uh, sort of witch and my grandfather had this thing that he used to call uh, the voice and uh, so he had his own psychic connection in that sense as did my grandma on that side so it's definitely been passed down. When you were older did you see it even though you were helping people did at times you you must have been exhausted. I really don't want this. This is a bloody curse. I wish I'd never had it. it it's certainly, yeah, I don't do it as often now, but I still have moments where I'm like, I wish I worked in an office. <laughs> you know, I would like to just <laughs> look at a spreadsheet all day and be mind-numbingly bored just for one day, you know, to have a, have a bit of a break from it. But um it's very much a sort of pendulum swing for me now where, you know, I live with my girlfriend and I have my spell room in the house uh, or my workroom. So she has also started experiencing things just as a knock-on effect. And I think when that happens, and I see people being afraid of it. That's when I tend to re- withdraw more internally about it and think oh this is even though it's very normal in my world now it's not normal generally speaking and that's the times where I'm a bit like oh this is a bit sketchy <laughs> you know T- tell me about if you can one one encounter whether it be an exorcist an exorcism that you've done um or a haunting or something I mean the the description of you being pulled out of the bed is is horrific anyway that's the things of horror movies one thing that comes to your mind where you go oh my god it was i I was absolutely terrified 
Well, uh, to be honest, even with the one that I'm about to tell you isn't going to sound as extreme as the being dragged out of bed and such. Um, And the reason it scared me so much is because I wasn't at home. So I was brought up on a lumber farm in Kent and the woods next to me were called Witchling Woods. It's where they used to hang witches in medieval times. Lovely. Nice place to grow up near. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely (laughs) bit of sightseeing. Um, uh, So I had come to expect it growing up there. It was more normal. Even though I was terrified, I knew that it was going to happen. So the one where I was actually the most scared is because it caught me off guard. Uh, And I was in Malta for for Christmas. I was there with family. We decided to go there for Christmas just to have something different. And the house we were staying in was the old vicar's house. But underneath the house, there was a tunnel that went from the garden into the crypt of the church three miles away. The tunnel had been blocked off, but when you went through the tunnel, it still had, you know, 600-year-old carvings in this tunnel and little crypts and shrines and uh, prayer rooms that had been carved out from when the Christians had to hide and when the Templars went underground. So it was a very hypercharged and active place anyway as you can imagine Um, with the history of Malta unto itself it's a very small island it's a lot of energy for a small place and in this particular case I kept hearing a girl singing every single night and every single day Uh, and I tried to record it on my phone it wasn't coming up on the recording which was frustrating in itself whenever it happened I asked my brothers who were there did you hear that and they look at me like what are you talking about um, and it, the reason why it freaks me out so much is because it was the same three notes repeatedly in a girl's voice. And oh, that's, cre- have, that's creepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it was creepy. But I, I think the reason it scared me so much is because I could not find her. I did not know where it was coming from. I didn't know what type of entity it was. Uh, I'd had experiences with, you know, the classic small girl stuff before, and I sort of knew where I stood with it. And they were always the worst experiences, which is probably why I was desperate to find out what this was, if it actually was a little girl or if it's something that I'd experienced before, because I didn't know if something big was about to happen. Because usually when I saw a little girl, something big happened, like the being dragged out of bed, something being thrown at me, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, it's made me go all cold. <laughs> yeah, it was the looming threat of it for a full week. Nothing did happen. But it was the looming threat for a week of it that freaked me out. It was drove me mental. So what do you what do you do for protection then for your own peace of mind? Because I know I have certain rituals I do, and I stand firm with the fact that thank God for my dad, my grandmother, my grandma. Uh, we have a, a a lovely soul called Steve Smith who used to look after us. Funnily enough, security when we did uh, most haunted lives and when we were abroad, he used to sort of come with me everywhere. Because uh, believe it or not, I did get death threats. Um, so he used to come with, and sadly he died. He passed from a, a brain um, tumor, and we've been told that I'm still protecting you, Yvette. I'm still here. Well, I did cry when I heard that. But so I, 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 (laughs) (laughs) but he and and I loved him to dearly, and so my protection. I feel I often think of myself um, if I'm going into a really awful situation where there's been very violent poltergeist activity, demonic activity, and so on. I'll always have um, certain um, charms that my uh, uh, protectors have given me in life that I keep around my neck uh, on a necklace. I think of stepping into a white sleeping bag and zipping it right up, you know, with the hood on and everything. Um, and then I always say the Lord's Prayer before and after. Um, what do you do to protect yourself before you go into situations like that or even before you go to sleep at night? Yeah, so I do a similar thing with regards to your sleeping bag technique uh except i envision it as a bubble that sort of uh is channeled into me through a beam of white light into my crown chakra all the way down and through then expanding outwards to create a sort of sphere of protection um but the actual uh beings that i use as protection i try and steer clear of relatives because especially with demonic activity i don't want my relatives to be 
sort of exposed to that even? Well, yes, I'm glad you brought that up because I was feeling a bit rotten. I thought, hang on a minute, you know, my dad, all my family members are going through, they're having to deal with these horrific people that have done the most terrible things in life and, uh, and, and demons, I suppose. Like, for instance, a few prisons I've been into and there's murderers and rapists there and they're still there and they're saying horrific things and, and throwing things and hurting us and, you know, Carl and Stuart burn marks, scratch marks, all of that. And I'm thinking, my poor family. So I asked them, do you mind doing this? You know, you need to rest, you know, what you need to be in paradise and enjoying yourself, not doing this. But they said, no, absolutely determined. No, we are with you always. We want to help. We want to protect. And I, I, I'm just going, you know, that's all I can do. But I, I thought the same as you, you see, Ed. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think certainly when you're in the afterlife, there's, you're sort of more of yourself anyway. So you can be in more than one place at the same time. And if they decided to take the role of protector, then a protector they will be, you know. Now, here's a here's a question just before we go. So I meet an awful lot of people on Most Haunted Experience nights where people come and, and investigate haunted locations. And a lot of them um, will ask me about protection. And I always use the sleeping bag thing, you know, if you're frightened, if you're worried at all. And also, I, I you know, whether you're religious or not, I think the words in the Lord's Prayer are very strong and I think they can sort of sum up a, 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 a lot of how we feel and um, make us feel protected as as well. I think it's sort of that, that comfort. Um, I mean, do you use any prayers at all, any religious artifacts or anything, any tools that you use when you're doing an exorcism? Uh, yeah, so I have a golden crucifix that I wear around my neck at all times. Uh, because I believe the symbology of it, of it is more powerful than we would sort of give it credit for at the moment. Um, but yeah, I, I have my own sort of version of a prayer, but rather than God, I say div- divinity or the divine. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. The creator. Right, yeah. Exactly. Uh, my, my mother actually uses the Lord's prayer as well. And that's what she uses for, to be protected for her own psychic sessions. But, uh, for me, it's more, uh, I use Templar chants. Uh, I play ch- Templar chants, um, uh, through my phone, uh, that are sort of very heavily based around, uh, Mary or Jesus. And that's something that, not only raises the vibration of the energy, but also provides that extra bit of protection, that extra layer. And sometimes it's just for peace of mind. But I think having peace of mind in a situation like that is the difference between being successful or not. Yeah. And and just going back to when I talk to people on Most Haunted Events, what advice would you give to somebody who's never been on a ghost hunt before, but they're really intrigued, they want to see something paranormal? What advice would you give them before they leave their home for protection to make them feel a little bit more at ease? Well, I would say that being confident that you can't be harmed is the number one priority in my book. Um, if you are nervous or if you have doubt, then I would say uh, you know, deep breathing to start with, but also call upon anything that brings you comfort. It doesn't even have to be religious. It can be your pet. It can be your favorite plushie. It can be a picture of your celebrity crush. It doesn't matter. But something that provides you with comfort, provides you with that internal warmth that melts away the ice of anxiety, um, that gets rid of, uh, that creates, sorry, the perfect protection for you because you then don't have a seed of doubt that can be taken advantage of if there is anything malicious. That's fantastic advice. Uh, really, really. And, and thank you, Ed, so much uh, for joining us. If anybody does want to contact you, uh, is there a way to do that? Yes, an absolute pleasure. I actually, uh, I don't advertise or anything like that. I usually, my clients are recommended to me by other clients. Uh, so it's all through word of mouth. But I uh, do have an email address that if people have queries, questions, et cetera, et cetera, to contact me on, then they most certainly can. But I am about to create another one specifically for 
questions of this type, uh, but I haven't made it yet. But I will let you know as soon as I have. Wonderful. <laughs> oh, yes, please. Yes, please. And I know, I know so many people listening um, will have absolutely loved um, you coming on the show. And I have found it absolutely fascinating and i've got so many more questions to ask you so definitely definitely uh, we'll 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 have to chat again uh, but in the meantime ed burgess wells thank you so much and um yeah have a great rest of the week <laughs> thank you very much no it's been an absolute pleasure well we're having a little bit of a break from paul because he's having a forgive me a breather um <laughs> in the meantime thank you so much for listening to paranormal activity with me yvette fielding and a huge thanks to our lovely lovely listeners for sharing their visitation stories with us you can get in touch please don't be shy and share your own stories at this address it's contact at paranormalpod.co.uk or you can leave a voice note like um jamie did earlier on and here's the number over 075-999-27537. As I say, please don't be shy. I love hearing your voices. It's such a joy to me. I can't tell you. And we're on Instagram and the handle is at Paranormal Activity Pod. Stay up to date with the newest episodes by giving us a follow and we'll be back again same time next week. But if you can't wait until then, uh, visit this address. It's www.paranormalpod.co.uk where you can find options to get episodes a day early have a great week stay safe if you need to do that uh, a little bit of protection you know what to do now remember things aren't always as they seem imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.